Welcome back to episode 12 of the Digital Guardian podcast. My name is Will Gradudo, and joining me today is Mr. Thomas Fisher. Say hello, Thomas. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back. And I'm happy that our guest is on. I would... Man, with my gin and tonic, I was going to do a Kuiperinia in honor of our guest, but I ran out of the key ingredients. So gin and tonic <laughs> it is. Very good. And joining us today as our special guest is Mr. Alex Pinto, who is a co-founder and chief data scientist for Needle. Alex, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Will and Thomas. And I wish I had a caipirinha right now, but it's, it's still a little bit too early here in California for me to justify that. Yeah, well, it's way past cocktail hour here in the UK. So, Alex, do you want to introduce yourself to our guests? And after your introduction, I have one pounding question to ask you. So I'll let you introduce yourself, and then I'll ask you my pounding question. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll try to keep the introduction short then because I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited for the question. So my name is Alex Pinto, and sadly, I've been doing security for almost 20 years now. I'd say 18. I try not to keep count because it makes me depressed. But for the past maybe four or five years, I've been working mostly on on the intersection of data science and security, right? So before that, I was was the founder of a full solution provider in security and did a lot of work managing SIMs and security operation centers and MSSP-like stuff. And I vowed to myself never again. So then I decided to go into more of the data science and even the machine learning stuff to try to see if we could make it a little bit easier on ourselves to do this this kind of work. So five years or so, I started doing research on this under MLSEC project. It's it's an org that that still exists. I got a lot of a lot of uh, people who work in the intersection of data science and security there in a, in a kind of a closely knit community. And for the past almost three years now, I've been a co-founder at this company called Needle, which is basically using a lot of the things we learned, a lot of the things we researched as a part of the MLSEC project, to power a SaaS-based threat hunting system. It's not a platform. It actually does the threat hunting for you. And I know that sounds completely absurd, but hopefully I can explain during this podcast why that's not such a crazy idea. So, Alex, I mean, we've known each other for a couple of years now. And, you know, one of the subjects that we always talk about is the overarching concept of AI. And I'm sure you follow the ongoings of AI in, you know, in in our industry, in our general industry, not just just not the security aspects, right? So what do you think of the short nerve that was released by Future of Life Institute, which is signed by Elon Musk and Mustafa Suleiman and a whole bunch of others, you know, trying to put through a point that the UN should rule against AI having any kind of, let's say, aggressive or tactical or military aspects in it because it could they could actually ultimately destroy us. I think it's sad that so many people who technically have access to all these resources and probably the finest education in the world can make such ridiculous comments. That's what I think about it, right? I mean, for someone who works, and I'm going to get in trouble with all the Elon Musk fanboys, I'm sure, but for a person who works so much with software, he has such a a glaring misunderstanding of what are the real capabilities of machine learning and AI in the world that we live in. I mean, he's just embarrassing himself, to be quite honest. That's an interesting point of view, and I I, I agree to a certain extent. I mean, 
ultimately, you know, we write the things and we train those AIs, right? And we're going to train that those those models. So, I mean, why do we need regulation if we're smart enough? If we're not going to build something that's going to kill us, right? I mean, let's be reasonable. I mean, you're the ultimate responsible person for what goes into that machine to a certain extent, right? I mean, I will disagree with your fundamental point that we will not build things that will destroy us, right? Um, yeah. Given, I don't know, let's hang 1945 there for a second. It's not the usage of machine learning in any of those bombs or, or weapons that's going to make any difference if we're going to blow ourselves to smithereens or not. That's not what we should be focusing on, right? So, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to expand a little bit on that, and especially on, on the usage of AI. And, and the thing that bothers me and my main disagreement with Mr. Musk is because people misuse the, the terms, the term AI so much that it's also, it's criminal. It's almost intellectual dishonest in my opinion. Yeah. And we, I mean, before, before we started, we, we were talking about this, right? We were, we were discussing this with you, uh, Will and myself. And I mean, it's also misused in our industry. If we bring back, you know, bring back everything to our industry and to, to some of the things that you're doing, it is true that it's really over misused and probably overused in it to a certain extent. We gave a few examples. I don't really want to go back on those examples because I don't want to call out any products, try to keep as product neutral as possible in, in, with our discussion. But it is becoming a race to see who can use the, who can use the AI term the most in, in our industry. That's the impression I got. You know, and that's the impression I got walking around Black Hat as well. I don't know. What are your feelings about that? There's a couple of aspects, right? The term AI, right, is very, very sexy because when you say AI to anyone who was grown, who grew up in the 80s or, or late 70s, right, it will remit us back to seeing all those movies with robots and things like that, right? And they are autonomous and they can think for themselves. Do robots have a soul and all those kinds of things, right? There's a lot of literature, a lot of things about that, right? I think what's the most important thing to for people to understand is that that's science fiction, right? We're not even moderately close to any sort of like, and this is a, actually a term of art, it's the model of the mind kind of stuff, which is, oh, this is how you would simulate someone thinking like a human or even a fairly smart animal would think, right? So that doesn't exist, period. That, and if that will ever exist, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a question that's, that much, much smarter people than, than me have been unable to answer so far, right? So that's the first thing there. So you're using the word artificial intelligence to represent anything that any product in any industry does. I think you're being intellectually dishonest because you're trying to go into the, this fantasy and into this thing, right? You know, it's if I, I mean, we have BART here, right? We have the, it's our metro train thing. Is if I was like, my marketing for BART is like, we're faster than light travel, you know? I was like, no, you're not, right? It takes me forever to get to San Francisco, but no, 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 but that's, that's what we are. I'm using this word. So it, it's this kind of thing that people are doing, okay? So that's the first point I want to put there, right? So when you say, when people say AI, it's not what most people will react to thinking what it means, right? So let's try to see what they mean, right? Right now, the most honest use of AI that I have seen, right, is 
An AI is a program, is a, an instance of applying machine learning to a problem. Okay, I have a problem I want to solve. It's something that's very self-contained. It's very, it's there. I can, I can enunciate. I can write. This is the problem I want to solve. And instead of just writing a deterministic program, something that will only have ifs and elses and fors, etc., I use some machine learning to add some stochasticity, some unpredictability, and actually to make my job easier because I don't have to think about all the things. I just try to have the system, uh, quote unquote, figure itself out. Right, so that is the most honest, in my opinion, interpretation or, or understanding of what AI means. So that's the first thing I want to put out there. When people say we are using AI, right, they're saying I wrote a program. When people say we use machine learning to solve this problem, they're saying I used programming to solve this problem. It's nothing more than that, right? Anyone trying to tell you that it's more magical than that, right? They're just being dishonest. So that brings up an interesting an interesting point, Alex. You know, you, you referenced or alluded to, I guess actually directly referenced really, the use of terminology, the appropriation of terminology by marketing entities, specifically in, in the case you, you pointed out, the, the BART system, right? Do you feel as though terms such as machine learning and artificial intelligence and other terms that are, that are directly related to our industry, threat intelligence, for example, have been appropriated and maybe even hijacked and are used oftentimes in intellectually dishonest ways or inaccurate ways. And what, what do you think we as practitioners and as disciplinarians, quote unquote, ought to be doing to right size that thinking and to, and to really refocus that thinking in such a way that it prevents that continued misappropriation? I think that's a that's a good question, and I have seen people good work in conferences in general, right? It's not this is at least uh, this is uh, I usually tell people this joke is that some people when they get mad, right, with something they go on Twitter and start screaming at people. I write a presentation. Uh, that's what I do. When, that's my therapy. I write a presentation like, okay, I'm very mad that people are using this word like this, or I'm very mad that people are not doing. They're not, I mean, conveying the specifics of how things work properly. I write a presentation. That's the whole story about the Secure Because Math presentation. I was so mad of a specific marketing line that a, a vendor was using at the time that I'm like, I have to write a presentation about this to try to educate people. I know I'm, gonna, I'm not nearly going to have as much reach as these folks, but at least I'm going to try to, to at least a couple of people that go to the presentation, they'll, they'll try to get a different perspective around that, right? And, and this is a much larger question, actually, right? It's like, how do you fight against the, the, the marketing messages as opposed to the, the techni technical practitioners trying to, to move the, the state of the art forward, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean as I was saying, why you, it's because you care, right? And it's true that it's very hard for us as technical practitioners to to convey a messaging that number one will will kind of get through on the marketing side, potentially make things more interesting. Because I technology can be boring. Let's face it, right? I mean, I you know I I talk a lot of times. I talk to people. It's like they ask me. It's like, so what do you think is like the cool new thing? And I was like, I haven't seen anything new in years. Yeah, you know, it's it's just like that, right? 
it's like when we're talking to, to sea levels. There's the technical speak versus how you need to talk to a general audience or and to potentially the buyers and to potentially the people who are going to be interested in your in your product who don't understand the technology that you're talking about. There's always a difficult in between, right? And I mean, today we see it's true. We see different marketing messages, as, as you were saying. I mean, nowadays I see there's talk of AI, but there's a lot of talk now more focused where because we're, we're starting to, I think the industry is growing up, and we know that it's part of our, our it's, it needs to be part of our end game. We start to see, you know, people actually mis- mentioning machine learning, and I mean, I think I saw a couple of vendors or, or companies or actually, you know, new analysts saying that we won't be able to continue doing our job the way that we're doing it today. I'm talking about the aspects of threat intelligence, about you know managing threats, managing all the logs that we're managing without using some form of machine learning. I mean, do, do you think that's accurate? Or do you think we're overstating the problem? What's your gut feeling on, on that aspect? To directly answer, I think they are right. I think that this is one of the reasons why I, I am I, I defend using machine learning in security, and I specifically try to call out when people are actually not using machine learning in security and like claiming that they are. This is a line that I've been using recently: is that uh, when people and I don't want to touch into that point why why everybody is using machine learning and AI as a term, but every time people come to me and say, oh yeah, we're using machine learning to solve this problem, right? My first question is, why? Couldn't you find a better way to do it? Because, I mean, machine learning is really, really should be like the bottom of our toolbox. Like when everything else failed, that's the thing we should be trying. Because when you insert machine learning into any process, right, as a part of the way this machinery is put together, it's always going to have uh, error rates, right? And uh, if you ever train a machine learning model and it's like 100% accuracy, you did something wrong. That's, that's one of the biggest truths of like machine learning development. There's always error in it. So in order for you to, oh, I'm using machine learning to solve a problem, you have to have already given up in the sense, this is impo- it's, it's impossible to treat this problem at scale with human resources, or it's, it's impossible to handle the amount of information that we would have to understand in order to handle this deterministically, right? So I usually ask people why, oh yeah, we're doing this sort of detection of machine learning, and why you could be using SMART to do that? Why are you using machine learning, right? But you're saying that there is an aspect of misuse of the term, and that's what you're getting at, right? I, I'm, I'm get, that's exactly what I'm getting at. And I read this paper. I've never met the author. It's almost 10 years old now. It's from 2008. It's called Security for Silver Bullets. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. And yeah, I have, Market I for I Silver Bullets. Sorry. Sorry, Market for Silver Bullets. Yeah, I, think, I think I did actually read it a few years ago. So it's, it's a very interesting point. The point is that for you to have an efficient market, Right? The concept of efficient marketing in econo- market in economics, everybody should have perfect knowledge. So I should know what I'm buying from you, right? And you should know what you're selling, right? The old story about the, the used car salesman, right? It's like the lemon. The lemon is like the seller has all the information, but the buyer has none. So the seller, the, the, the used car salesman, he knows exactly how bad the car is, but he's not telling you. And he's trying to convince you to buy the thing right? So you can get a bad car. You don't have good information, so you're going to make a bad decision. And conversely, they say, 
there, I had never heard this term before reading the paper. There's, the, there's this thing called the market for lines, which is the opposite, which is I am the buyer, I have all the information, and you are the seller, and you have none. And that's insurance, right? So I can sign a, a, a life insurance, right, and say I'm healthy and I'm not, right? They, they, unless they go and audit me, they don't really know. So I, could, I, I have a clear advantage over the, the seller, so to speak. And then the paper argues, which I think is just brilliant, that there's an there's a, a unexplored part here, which is either the buy, neither the buyer or the seller have any idea what they're, they're doing, which is the silver bullets. And that's security. I mean, the sellers, they don't know how good their product is because it's actually impossible or nearly impossible to measure. <laughs> It's fantastic. It's fa- it's a fantastic concept. When I read it, I'm like, oh my God, this is just genius because this actually happened to me. One of the talks I put together was one called TIQ test, and it was about evaluating the, the quality of threat intelligence feeds. When I wrote yeah. that talk, I thought, okay, this is going to be like the last talk I ever write because after this, no one will ever want to give me threat intelligence data. Because all the vendors are going to get uh, very angry with me and they're never going to want to work with me again. So, well, let's try to make this, this talk a good one, right? And, of course, the talk went into a lot of analytics, a lot of details on wh- how feeds are bad and how feeds are good, right? And the response... Let me guess. Yes. Let me guess. Everybody wanted to give you their feeds. Of course. They were like, <laughs> oh, my God, you figured out a way to measure this. We have no idea how to do that. You're a genius. Let- work with us. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's not that they're like, they're not the bad guys. They just don't know. Right? So, wow. And, and, and it was that. It was there on the paper, right? And so when you have a situation like that, when nobody knows how good their product is, either the buyer or the seller, the only thing you can do is, is one thing, is something they call in economics called signaling, which is I'm going to give you a signal that I'm a good product and uh, it, there's going to be a subtext there, so you're going to buy it. So this is why you see people market, marketing like going, flocking towards terms, right? So it's like, oh, machine learning is the cool stuff. Everybody must have machine learning. Because you have to use that word. Because you're signaling to the buyers that you are up to date with whatever magical thing is happening now. It was the same for threat intelligence and threat hunting. And now it's machine learning and AI. I have no idea what's going to be next year, you know. But it's, it's fantastic. People just, they, they just need to say something. They just need to use the word. And now it's machine learning. Yeah, that's a very good point, right? And I think it's interesting because when you look at an area that's near and dear to my heart, right? And I think to yours as well, right? And that's really uh, threat research, malicious code and content analysis, working with large data sets. What are your thoughts with regard to the prominence of the application of, of either terms, machine learning or artificial intelligence that we're seeing with respect to startup technology and rather prominent players, well-funded players promoting those ideas while at the same time, not necessarily not necessarily proving out the model it's in the way that you're describing it you know i think there there are there are certain scenarios and there are certain technologies to your point where where you're always going to run a skew of complete complete uh, solution addressal and 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 solving right solving the equation right and you never if you ever truly solve the problem entirely to your point 
you, you're really not, you're probably not doing it right. Right. So what are your thoughts when you hear about organizations that are doing it well and who are being open about how they're approaching the use of this type of technology to solve complex problems, voluminous amounts of data that could never otherwise be truly handled at scale by human beings, and then being called onto the carpet when things are not necessarily 100% perfect with respect to the outcome of those tools and technologies versus the marketing trends we're seeing. Yeah, there, there's a lot. There's there's at least two points I want to make out of that question. Uh, let me try the, the the last one first, because I think you're specifically referring about people making fun of the hello world incident. And yeah, no, that, that was funny. That was, that, was, that was objectively funny. And it's interesting because there was a very good article from uh, Steve Reagan, Rogan, I, I don't know how to, I, I don't really know his last name, but Steve D3 on Twitter, where he actually went and talked to the, the companies who had actually flagged hello world as malicious on the virus total. And they all had pretty good explanations. They all had, well, you know what? Given that the system is trying to find the likelihood of something being malicious, right? The fact is that these tools are being extensively trained on benign kind of binaries and systems that in real life exist. Not many people have real hello worlds in, in vast majority, in, in, in great quantities in their enterprises. So that's not really a part of the, of the training set, right? That's a very traditional machine learning classification kind of answer, which is fair if you understand what you're doing. But they also made the point that VirusTotal only has the static analysis uh, model. So all the dynamic analysis models, which is what this thing actually does when it runs, this is not something that... Virus Total has. So, I mean, I enjoy Virus Total. I think Virus Total has a very important part, it's a very important place in the research community. But, I mean, if you're trusting the Virus Total numbers or the detections, I mean, that's just a tiny slice of the products. You're, you're, you're probably doing it wrong. So, but I think it was interesting. I think it was interesting. Because, first of all, it was funny. I mean, I laughed. It, come on. It, it was funny. It was objectively yeah, funny. Yeah. But, well, it was a veritable who's who in the endpoint exactly. detection response and, and, and anti action antivirus, you know, space, right? You know, who got, who all kind of had the same experience, right? So it's, it's, it is kind of humorous, but to your point, there's very good rationale behind why that, why that was actually flat. Yeah, right? I would invite anybody who laughed at the joke to try to find uh, Steve D3's article about it. It's actually very informative, right? It's actually, uh, it has some very, I mean, if you, if you don't really understand how machine learning can be objectively used for detection and security, it actually gives you some very interesting insights on how those companies are, are doing their work, right? Yeah, that's Steve Reagan's, that, that's Steve Reagan, Reagan's yeah. article on CSO Online, folks, in the listening audience. That's the second thing, right? And that's the, the, but the first thing that you said, I think that there's definitely something I, w- I want to say about that as well, right? And as we were, were talking before we started recording, this is also something I, I care deeply about. So I think there are legitimate problems in security where the next big thing, like the next big push we're going to do, I mean... I mean, you, you folks are, you're old enough to remember when deep packet inspection became a thing, right? When, when Checkpoint uh, released that, right? And like, whoa, this completely gave us a different dimension, a different way of looking at the data. It made us so much more efficient 
in detection, right? It's always, I mean, we were, we were, we were in a very bad spot before that. I mean, we're still in a very bad spot, but this is how bad we, things were, right? When deep packets inspection came along, we were like, oh my God, we're saved, right? We're now, now we can actually see what's in the packet. Well, little did we know. So anyway, to my point, there are legitimate problems to be solved, right? And there are legitimate attempts of solving the problem, right? So, I mean, anyone who has seen my work know that I'm very negative about UBAs and UEBAs and any technology that tries to use anomaly detection on on security, for security detection, right? I, I don't think, I think there's several mathematical reasons why it's a bad idea to do that for security. But even so, these guys are trying, right? They are objectively building a product. They're trying, they're taking a stab at building a product that will use those technologies, which is machine learning. It's unsupervised machine learning, right? To try to figure something out, right? So these guys, they can say they're doing machine learning. They can say they're using quote unquote AI, Right, sorry. You hey, Alec, would that would it be appropriate, or, or could I ask you to define for the the listening audience what is you know the the various forms of the two primary classes of machine learning? Of course. And you just mentioned one. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the curse of knowledge? Yeah. Yes. yes. So yeah, it's something that I'm from that all the yeah. time. So it's something that's so natural for you. You 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 sometimes forget that. So there's two main things like that you can do, right? So the best definition of machine learning that I, I have, I think it's from a paper from, uh, oh, I forgot the name of the guy. I'm going to find the name of the, of the, there's a researcher who wrote some papers on trying to make machine learning simpler to understand. It's like a normal program. When you write a normal program, you have an input, you write the program, and then you get an output, right? You have two of the three. You have the input in the program, you get an output. So machine learning is you have an input and you have an output and you want the computer to calculate the program for you. This is pretty much what you're doing, right? So the difference between the two kinds of machine learning, which is either supervised or unsupervised, is what do you have in this input, right? So if you just have data that describes something, right, but you don't really know what those data types are, I mean, you can't really tell them apart for some reason, or there might be so many that you have no idea how to actually tell, call them what they are, right? You just give the data to the system and you ask, hey, system, can you tell me something interesting about this data, right? So it's kind of an exploratory thing. You're trying to cluster things together, right? You're trying to figure out a very common use of this is like you have like audience to a website, and you're trying to segment this audience because you want to sell ads to them, right? So you try to put these people together in groups and you try to figure out which groups make the most sense, right? And the same kind of concept in anomaly detection for security is that uh, maybe all the normal things are the same or are very similar to each other. So we can find, when we find anomalous things, they're going to be malicious, right? So that's kind of the play. But when you're talking about supervised, you're saying, oh, I have this, this data here, this, this, this group of data here that I know it's of type A, let's say. I know these are benign files. I know these are not things that are, this is like the, the stock 
executables that comes with Windows 10, let's say, right, for example. You have an, a different class, right, which is, oh, this is malware. I know that this is malware. So I can actually, before giving it to the system, I can tell them apart, at least of the sampling that I have, the data that I have in my hand, right? And then I give it to the system. Here are the examples of A. Here are the examples of B. Can you please write me a program that tells A and B apart if I give you a new set of data that I don't know what it is, right? And that's pretty much the main concept, right? of uh, what those things, of what those machine learning powered antiviruses and things like that, they're, they're trying to do, right? So the consensus, right, not only in academia, but in the industry is that supervised is way more powerful because A, you actually know what you're looking for, right? I guess it helps if you know what you're training against, right? So to try to write a better program, right? And B, it's also, if you're able to, to find enough label data, and that's a huge problem everywhere and in security more so, when I say label data, I mean you can tell that this is label A, this is a thing A, or this is label B, this is a thing B. When you have enough of these, you can actually get pretty good, right? So that's the main, main difference there between those two things. But most people, most data science teams, they will only use unsupervised when they're trying to do some sort of exploration to learn about the data set and then potentially write a classification model or something like that. So it's very iffy to use those things in production. And I don't think there's any real industry that uses unsupervised machine learning models in production like that, like we do in security, right? It has already been disproven unless for very specific like availability kind of things, like, oh my God, there's too much CPU being used here, right? Which is a very, very simple usage when you think about it. Alex, I mean, just going back to the, the the behavioral analysis that you mentioned earlier, I mean, I, I did, some, did some work on, a little bit of work on around evaluating some of these products, well, some of these solutions as such, so around behavioral analysis. But I found that most of them were just building trends and, and looking at a trending of data rather than, than going into that direction that you just described with with some form of, of identification of an input and an output, which is sad. I mean, uh, to be honest, we could do a lot better in that user behavioral space, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if you've had any dealings with that kind of stuff, but that's the gut feeling I got from most of the evaluations that I've done. So I've been seeing a lot of noise. If we carry on the disc, you know, within... Also, within the um, the description of machine learning, or what you would just describe machine learning, where you have, you know, a label A, uh, and you, it describes, and you manage to put multiple labels, and it'll describe an output. I've seen a lot of noise lately, and and in our industry about deep learning. So, is this just adding a level of complexity, or do you think that will have some benefit? And we're conscious of time here; we're getting close to the to the end. But uh, so, if if it's too complicated, we can we can hold it off for another session. But if you have a quick thought on, on deep learning, it's actually be great. very simple. Remember when I was telling you that you should understand, if think of machine learning as programming, right? When people tell you they're using deep learning, they're just telling you that you're using Python. You know what I mean? It's just a tool, right? <laughs> okay. So here's the thing about deep. Why is deep learning different, right? And this is the I'll try to make it as short as I can. The biggest breakthrough of deep learning is that the way that uh, you create the algorithm, you can actually build the models, you can be very lazy 
on the, the feature selection part, right? A feature in a machine learning model is how you explain to the, to the algorithm, quote unquote, how do you explain to the computer, right? The characteristics of thing A or thing B, right? So the, the thing about machine learning, especially deeply convoluted neural networks, which is like their, their like full name, is that you don't have to give them a lot of detail. You don't have to like create the features. It kind of figures the features out for you which is very powerful, right? Now you don't have to do all that thinking about how you're going to describe thing A or thing B. So it became very, 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 very powerful in all those things we have seen advancements in the past few years, which is voice recognition, image recognition, and text recognition, like entity extraction specifically, right? What I mean is like, what is this text talking about? Because it was very good. Everybody was like, going insane trying to figure out how can I best describe that there is a cat in this image and suddenly you didn't have to anymore the, the system kind of figured it out on its own so it sounds pretty magical but there's a there's a huge caveat right and it's one of the reasons why I tell people that anybody who is in like if they're if it's a security company and they say they're using deep learning you should run away very fast because they have no idea what they're doing <laughs> few companies that are that are promoting yeah <laughs> so, so actually actually i think <laughs> i think that opens the door to your last question will yeah so alex you know obviously uh we're coming we're coming up on what we like to do with is wrap up and take the last five minutes or so to kind of collect final thoughts from our guests and really address you know, address what their thoughts are with respect to the areas of specialty that they that they perform in within their organizations today and then how 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 they see the playing field being being set up and how they see the players taking that field and, and things being put in motion from not only a defender's perspective, but also from an adversarial perspective, we could talk forever with you. And I'd actually like to have you back on the podcast to talk in more detail about machine learning and artificial sure. intelligence. So we can delve more deeply into things like the various approaches, whether they're decision tree learning or clustering or Bayesian networks or a whole host of other things to really kind of pick your brain in, in further detail. But I think what I'd like to understand from your perspective and from Needle's perspective and your and your and your colleagues within the organization is where do you see the biggest problems and challenges uh, arising with respect to the advent of machine learning and artificial intelligence within advanced security solutions? What do you think potential buyers, the listeners to this podcast, whether they're whether they're peers, whether they're vendors, whether they're consumers, should understand and what are the things they should hone in on most carefully when they do hear pitches about the use of machine learning, artificial intelligence, and security products that are making large promises, promises at scale. And then last but not least, where do you think the greatest challenges lie and what what is the most, what should be the largest concerns and points of caution for a prospective consumer of these technologies? Let me try to, to slice up a little bit. I think the, the most important question when, when a vendor comes to you and, uh, oh yeah, we're using machine learning is number one, are you using machine learning in detection, right? Because I've seen quite a few companies like that they don't do detection at all. I mean, like someone who, oh, we find threat intelligence from the internet, right? We're using machine learning to defend you. No, you're using entity extraction NLP on news sites to figure out stuff, right? This is not, this is a tried and true technology. This is not an advancement in security at all, right? You, I don't think you get to claim you're doing ML in security unless you're applying whatever machine learning to security data to a detection or 
a protection problem. That that might be just be my opinion, but that's thing number one. Is it being used in detection, right? And if it is being used in detection, the next follow-up question is why, right? As in, is this the best you could do? Why are you solving this problem with machine learning? What are the why is this problem so hard that it cannot be solved by specifics of uh, deterministic things? So a fair answer to that is because it's too much scale, right? It's too much going on. There's too much data, right? And that's the answer I like as well. Because when you think about skills shortage and all of those things, right, there's way too much stuff to be done and not enough people to do that. So if people are applying machine learning to, okay, I'm trying to reduce the scale of a problem or trying to show you only the things that are relevant, right? And I'm, I'm hiding a pitch of my company here on this, on this answer, right? I think that's the right way to go to, right? Because that's the real problem. That's a problem that everyone's facing, right? If they go to that point, yeah, we are going to reduce the impact of data, you're not going to need as many people to, to run your security or anything like that. I think the next question is, okay, you seem to be doing a sort of automation through machine learning play here. So how many people do you have on your professional services org, right? Because if they have an army of professional services, they're not really doing any interesting machine learning. They're just tuning a system, a very silly system for you. And there's just a bunch of people behind the curtain who are pretending that they're doing something advanced for you, right? I'm seeing this happen more and more. People claiming that they have something advanced that they, they actually don't. And uh, not even close to it, but just hand-waving with, uh, with a bunch of people behind the curtains, right? My concern becomes is like in the 80s, right? We had this, this thing that people call the AI winter, right? was when people were, everybody made all these crazy promises about what machine learning would be able to do. And obviously they didn't deliver because they were absurd promises. And so everybody got disillusioned. And for almost 15 years, nobody actually did any meaningful research on on AI or machine learning, right? And now we're back and we're, the hype train is going very strong. So we're actually on the, uh, there's a concern from actual machine learning practitioners in security that, you know what, we're all going to, everybody's going to lose interest, right? There are some people who are actually doing interesting developments or creating completely new class of products that were impossible to create before. And because everybody's just overusing machine learning and just trying to fool the buyers into, I mean, using the signaling that we were talking about, right? The words are losing meaning, but I don't really think that people have to be experts on math or machine learning to understand what a company is doing, if it's interesting or not, or if the usage of machine learning they're doing is interesting or not. So that's the the final point of caution. If you're trying to talk about machine learning with your vendor and they just try to, oh yeah, we got a bunch of math PhDs, it's too complicated, they have nothing. They're just trying to scare you away from the conversation. And these are not the people you want to have a conversation with. It's actually very simple. It's just a technique. It's just another tool right? There are things those tools are good for. There are things those tools are are bad for, right? If your vendor is not willing to have a a good conversation with you about why they're using machine learning and why they believe it's the good call, right? You're probably just wasting your time. All right. Well, thank you, Alex, so much again for joining us today on episode 12 of the Digital Guardian podcast. Thomas, as always, thank you. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share as well, Thomas, before we close? Yeah, I mean, it was been it's been great talking with you. 
Alex. Yeah, I've I think that like you, I think that it will solve a lot of our challenges with with large data sets. But I, my perspective is it'll solve a lot of our challenges with large data sets by weeding out a lot of the noise and and being able to. I'm hoping we'll be able to highlight what we need to, what real you know like eyes on glass need to focus on instead of focusing on everything. I mean that's my that's my real want for out of this is that that focus you know highlighting what needs to be what needs to be investigated, highlighting what we need to what we need to look at and in terms of, of threat hunting or in terms of of any type of incident response. So you know, I'm still back on my on my old thing. Eyes on glass is the best thing yeah. that you can have. Well, this is exactly what we're trying to do at Nido. Is really the to go through all this data, right, and and show your threat hunters the the potential incidents that matter the most. Sometimes it's obvious that it was an alert, and when it's not obvious, right, it just provides you all the context data that you need. But just for that thing, I mean, it's like laser focusing the analyst on what they should be doing at a specific point in time, right? I I believe a lot in what you're saying is that there's a lot of work that only can be done by highly trained people. So the tools we should be working on are tools that are able to summarize and to be able to prioritize the data correctly for then that those people are the best, are used the best possible way. All right. And with that said, gentlemen, thank you again for joining us on episode 12 of the Digital Guardian podcast. To our listening audience, thanks once more for, for listening and spending some time with us today. Yeah, September, join us in September for episode 13. We will be announcing our guests shortly. Thanks very much. And as always, be good and keep listening. Bye, everybody. Bye. I'm going to get in my cape, you know. <laughs> I think you need it. <laughs>